Hello and welcome to Conversations with Writers. Talking to writers about what drives them to tell their stories. At a time when people seem obsessed with Instagramming their best life possible, author Gabrielle Tozer wants her teenage audience to know it's still okay to be a bit of a dork. Her contemporary fiction novels, The Intern, Faking It and Remind Me How This Ends, tapping into the relatable awkwardness of the late teens and early 20s, those post-high school years of first loves, first jobs, bad bosses and particularly bad kisses. According to Gabriel, when you're a teen, you feel everything a thousand times over. Gabriel's young adult work has been published internationally to increasing acclaim and combines the drama of love and loss with the comedic surety of never quite getting it all together. Hello, Gabby. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you so much. Gabby, you seem to be one of these people who had a clear idea of what you wanted to be from the age of six. So did that make you particularly annoying in primary school? I feel like I've always been very annoying. It's something I pride myself on. Um, I think my most annoying phase was certainly was more during high school. Yeah, when I was in primary school, it was one of many careers I wanted. I also fantasised about um, being on Home and Away and being a psychologist, um, owning a craft shop, which I have no DIY skills, so I don't know where that came from. Um, but during high school, it was very much cemented as journalism that sounds amazing and also I also wanted to be an author as well um, but to be fair and very frank I don't didn't quite understand what journalism was like I very much was obsessed with Ann Sanders that newsreader from oh yes like on broadcast TV which was influenced by my mum who was also obsessed with Ann Sanders to the point where I would go and try on power jackets <laughs> so I wouldn't say my intentions were coming from the right the right place at the start but yeah I was pretty open about it so from about year 10 when you start doing work experience I was probably pretty obnoxious about the fact that I knew what I wanted to do even though I didn't quite understand it but I was charging ahead either way. So what was it though that drove you towards wanting to be a journalist it couldn't have just been she looked great on camera no, and had definitely, that wonderful it, radio voice. It definitely wasn't it was very much a case of um, I have loved reading from a really young age um, my parents are both former teachers and we have just had books filling our home forever. And that love of reading eventually evolved into a love of writing. And that for me has, had always been split into two sides. Um, you know, your classic, I used to write short stories as a child, that kind of thing that never really stopped. And, um, as I kind of got older, I became more and more nosy, which I realized you can then start getting paid to do that as a, <laughs> As an adult, as a, as a journalist, so I've always kind of juggled those two interests. Um, so I would say very much my love of reading, which and which was coupled with my love of writing, and I realised it was actually a way to get paid for that in the real world. Um, and so once I had that moment, I can't even remember who taught me that lesson, um, but I started doing work experience, and so that then it just snowballed. Um, so I was lucky in that sense of. It all kind of came together, but it's certainly like I really, it's just like a big map of all these crazy things that led to that point. 
Earlier this year, you wrote for TV Week magazine and in an online piece or commentary, you were talking about the um, TV show 13 Reasons Why, which is based on the book, the the young adult novel. And, And you said when you write for teens, you have a responsibility to tell a compelling story and do no harm. I was wondering if you could expand on that perhaps. I think for me the wonderful thing with writing YA is, for one, there is no topic that is untouchable. Just as to put that out there first, um, there's no taboo. It's about how you cover the topic. So YA in Australia and overseas covers the heaviest topics you can ever imagine. Everything from grief, suicide, assault, um, all sorts of things. In addition to all the wonderful things that I also enjoy writing about, you know, your exciting first, first jobs, first kisses, that type of thing. But when it comes to those heavier topics, like we do have a responsibility to be mindful that there are people reading our work that are going to be influenced by it in some way. So I think the biggest difference for me when I'm writing a young adult piece as opposed to if I was to be writing about the same theme in an adult fiction piece, it's just have that tiny glimmer of hope. That's all you need with a YA novel. It doesn't like you need to sew, it's not like you need to sew everything up with a perfect red ribbon at the end or anything like that but it's just that glimmer of hope because otherwise what's the point you get to the end and you're like well now I feel even more depressed um the thing with 13 reasons why that really bothered me was I'm a woman in my 30s and I was truly affected by some of the scenes in there and um and their handling of it and I it just really worried me about what this, how this would leave other teenagers feeling perhaps who didn't have that support at home to talk about it with or that type of thing. So it's not that I'm ever against handling these topics. I'm, I think that, that writers and shows and movies that do it well, uh, oh, they deserve to be applauded. It's amazing. I was just, despite their best efforts, and I know that they did have a lot of people trying to make it as as brilliant as possible, I think they just did get a little bit too... Um, graphic with some of the things that perhaps were a little unnecessary in still proving the point that we're trying to make. Now, you grew up in Lake Albert in Wagga Wagga, which is, for those who don't know, in regional New South Wales. It's quite a large regional centre. It's not a small country town. And it, it seems to have informed much of your character's origins in the last three books and certainly even in your short story, which is included in End. Yeah, Begin and Begin, A Love Osway. I love Oswaye anthology. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So tell me about Lake Albert and Wagga Wagga growing up. So good old Wagga Wagga. Like once this, everyone's got that Wagga Wagga connection. So I was born and raised there. I left when I was 18 for uni, but I had a great childhood and it was like every cliche kind of teenage movie from back in the day, you know, like riding around the suburbs on your bike and hanging out at the park and going to the pool for your, you know, potato scallops, jumping off top tower, which is like a 10-metre tall tower. It was, it feels so retro now, but it was, so it was great. It's still a very important um, part to me and I feel like it is one of those things that has kind of kept me grounded a little bit in terms of every now and then I just know that I need to get away from the city and get back to that quieter pace and some people when they leave a country town they never look back and they just move on with their lives. For me, it's very much still part of me. I go back there, I recharge, and I love that. And especially in Lake Albert, it's just this 
beautiful big body of water with a with a walking track around it. My dad rose there a couple of times a week, and I would I'll wake up, watch the sunset, I watch the sun rise when I walk around it, and it's just. It's just a feeling I don't get when I'm in the city mm. as much as I love the city. There's always the suggestion that sometimes you have to leave these places to really remember why you love them so much. Do you think that's true? Because you sort of tap into that a little bit in, in your later work. Uh, I think for me, definitely. Like by the time I was in year 12, I was ready to look back. Uh, sorry, I was ready to leave and never look back. And I went on to Canberra Uni and then I went to Sydney. Like I was very much like, headed to the big smoke once again just that cliche path that so many of us tread who do leave Wagga um, now I'm in my 30s I very much can see the value of that lifestyle like we've almost moved back there a few times it just hasn't come about yet um, so I very much um, love it's just so balanced which is kind of what I'm craving more and more these days you went to University of Canberra and studied a communications degree specializing also in creative writing you then returned nine years later and gave a commencement speech to the incoming students, and I won't get you to think about what those exact points were at the time, but one of them was about faking it until you make it. Um, and that seemed to have certainly informed the second book, which is called Faking It. Was that a big part of your life in the early days, faking it till you make it, trying to work out your way through journalism and how to speak to all these mix of pop stars, rock stars, television stars, etc.? I would say absolutely yes. I have mixed opinions about faking it these days, like in terms of just as an approach to life, but I would not have been able to get to where I am without faking it. It's as simple as that. I was terrified every step of the way, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to let that on to people. So oh, I just think about those days and I honestly wonder how I ever got through them sometimes, the, the nerves that I was grappling with. Um, there was a lot of saying yes to things and then working out how to do it later. Like, and I mean, with all sorts of things. So with my first job that I, um, got in Sydney, they were like, do you know how to use the program Adobe InDesign? I'm like, absolutely. And then I got off the phone. I was like, oh my God, I've never used this program in my life. So then it's calling up a friend's dad who's giving me a quick tutorial before I have to go up to do a sub editing test using InDesign. And, um, in terms, it's just, just kind of rolling with it and like, you know, that leap and you hope the net will appear. There was a lot of that going on. <laughs> As your career expanded though, and you moved into the editorial role and things like how much did faking it move though towards a question of um imposter syndrome which often affects young people as they start their careers when they when they start that career climb very rapidly as you did did you ever have that that moment where you had to stop and sort of go look I don't actually think I know what the hell I'm doing anymore absolutely I it's something that is very common for all people I think and in creative industries absolutely I don't know at what point it kind of switched over to me knowingly trying to trick people into, you know, giving me an opportunity to me feeling real fear about getting caught out and, oh, my God, when are they going to realise this? I know it certainly was getting out of hand as I was um, becoming a published author. That was without a doubt. But even in my magazine career, like you said, as I was climbing that editorial ladder, moving from those more junior editorial positions up the ranks, you do start to question things more and more. But as I've gotten older and I've spoken to so many more writers and editors about this, it's something that everyone seems to have grappled with. 
Like I would say it's the majority rather than the minority that have felt those feelings. So it's hard to know who actually has it and who doesn't, if that makes it's really, really confusing. But it is something that led me to seeing um like seeking professional help like throughout my twenties. But I think that had a lot to do with burnout as well. Not just um feeling like I might have been um undeserving of some of the positions I was getting. But it certainly accelerated um throughout my uh book publishing career. Your book publishing career took off after having done a writing course in which you met um, someone who was working at a publishing house and then you kept in touch with them and it was only years later that they had sort of followed your career and looked at your online work. Um, what was that like to, to have unconsciously put your foot in the door all those years ago? I look back at that moment as just a really amazing mix of hard work paying off luck being at the right place at the right time and just a little bit of maybe it was meant to be because with that course that you mentioned I was actually enrolled in a different one and so um, I'd applied for this other course because I hadn't been um, doing much creative writing since leaving uni and I'd been working for about three or four years in magazines I was really missing that creative element so that that me enrolling in a creative writing course was a bit of a kick up the bum I was like okay, I like to do that sometimes for myself. It's like I force myself out of my comfort zone. So I enrolled in this creative writing course and then I got an email um, maybe a month later saying it was cancelled because not enough people had applied and I was so annoyed and they didn't um, they didn't give money back so you had to then spend the credit on another course there. So I'm looking through this list of all these courses and nothing was really jumping out at me. This is where I'm embarrassed to admit the course that I actually did which was a getting published, like getting your ma- manuscript published course. And the reason I'm embarrassed to admit that is I'd never written a, ma- a manuscript before. So I was very much putting the cart before the horse. Um, but it was the only one that kind of felt like it would help me in the long term. So I was like, I've paid this money. I was in my early, tw- early to mid twenties. I didn't have that much money. So I was like, I need this to benefit me somehow. So anyway, I plodded along to this weekend course. It was just a two day thing and loved it like even though I didn't have a manuscript to shop around I was just so passionate about the industry and yeah one of the teachers was just beautiful and so lovely and not the scary kind of um I don't know like I'd imagine that these these publishers would be these scary corporate people you know just going out crushing writers dreams and this this particular person was just absolutely beautiful and warm and open to answering everyone's questions and um, we stayed in touch and that was, like you said, over a couple of years, we had a few coffees, um, well, teas for me because I don't drink coffee. I'm like the world's worst writer. But every time we'd catch up, which would only be maybe once a year or once every two years, um, this publisher would say, and have you written anything yet? Have you started that manuscript? Because I was doing a lot of talking about becoming an author, but I wasn't putting pen to paper. Like it was your classic, I want to have written a novel, but not actually doing the work. And so eventually that kind of paid off and I just started to think more and more about it. And little did I know, she actually recommended me to a different publisher and they got in touch. And that's where the real kick up the bum happened because this new publisher wasn't messing about and they were like, we've checked out your website, we love your, um, you know, the experience that you've had working on these particular magazines what are your ideas? And so all of a sudden it was like a crossroads of either 
forget this dream or step up, come up, like come up with something basically. So there was still a bit of faking it going on here because I was like, yep, no worries, I'll get them right to you. Hang up the phone. Okay, time to come up with some ideas. Did, did you perhaps recognise, though, the seriousness of that opportunity? Absolutely. And I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but I kind of take everything seriously in, in this <laughs> world. So it wasn't like I laughed it off. It was more of a – there was an initial moment of, is this spam? <laughs> How did this get into my into my email? Um, but I was in shock. But then I kind of immediately went into – action mode but the first phone conversation that I had with this second publisher who has got come on to be my amazing publisher Lisa Berryman um it was like the ultimate faking it like I guess when I was younger if I ever imagined talking to a publisher it's you know in a in a business meeting or these types of things you have these you know expectations I was in my shitty little apartment in the city um it was before work. I was in my bedroom with like posters on the wall because I have no styling like experience and didn't know how to do up the room. And I kind of faked my way through this conversation with her. And when I hung up, I remember just like collapsing with relief that I got through it on the phone. You know, it was, there was still no guarantees at that point. They were very much just, they had nothing to lose. They're like, let's just see if she's got anything to say. Well, for me, it felt like at the time, it felt like if I didn't make this work, it would never work. I now know that's not true. You know, there's so many avenues to becoming an author. At the time, it felt like make or break. But that was an intensity that I kind of had at high school, in my 20s. It's taken me a long time to unlearn those lessons. But I think it's that intensity that helped me to get that first book over the line. Are you particularly ambitious? I would say I have always been ambitious about things that I love. So to do with writing particularly. So I would say I'm very ambitious with writing. I would say in the last couple of years that has changed. Not that I'm not ambitious but that I'm much more mindful about the effects that that ambition may have on me and the people around me. In what way? So I would say that for me in the past and like me being ambitious about getting a book published or um, building up um, a portfolio of books at a younger age, I was too focused on comparing myself to other people, kind of getting it done quickly. Like you hear all these stories and um, because I'm a media girl, I was always reading about other people, you know, like rather than just getting on with my own work. You'd hear stories about people getting published when they were really young or publishing five books by the time they're 30 or whatever it is and you're almost brainwashed into thinking, well, that's that's how it's done. And so eventually, like, I realised that type of intensity may have helped me get a few books out but it hadn't led me to being happy. Like, it was – I literally got the dream that I had when I was six years old and I had a – an assignment that was write down your top 10 careers and author was one of them and I literally got that dream before I was 30. I was about um, 28 I think and I still felt like it wasn't enough. I still felt like a bit of a failure in a way and so... What was it that you think or at least thought at that time was missing? Because I mean let's look at your career. In that short period of time you were able to publish three books within four years plus a children's novel and 
also a short story within the the, the young adult um, anthology, which we just talked about before. So that's a lot of work produced in a very short period of time, even though the first book took a couple of years to put together. But that's, you know, people would kill for that opportunity and that publishing track record. So what was missing, did you think? I had... And I agree completely, absolutely. And that's why I've spent so much time in the last few years reflecting on this, going, this is out of control. Why I should be leaping for joy here. And the thing I realised was missing was time to actually um, reflect on what I've achieved. So with the intern and, and enjoy it and kind of recharge before you throw yourself into the next project. So with the intern, I'd signed a two-book deal. So it was like the moment... I was while I was promoting the intern I was still then working on a new book so we could get the sequel out and once that momentum had started for me and that was over a number of years because I first met with HarperCollins in 2011 and then um, it didn't come out till 2014 and then Faking It came out at the beginning of 2015 so I had this like three or four solid years of just always being on deadline in addition to working a full-time job so I had forgotten how to relax and have fun and I'm someone who loves to have fun. I've got a lot of mates, love to go out and I just suddenly didn't have as much time for it and four years is a long time to start up a new bad habit and I really nailed this bad habit <laughs> um, to the point where I, it burnt me out and luckily I realised that before it completely um, – smashed my love of writing which is something I've had since I was a little girl so yeah I've, I've met writers before who are much older than me who don't learn these lessons until much 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 later in their life and it freaked me out I was like I don't want to live like that I don't want to be bitching about writing a book when it's the one thing I've loved to do like I'm either going to do it and love it or stop doing it was there ever a sense of fear that was perhaps driving you, which this, this nature of maybe it'll all just go away, that you won't have another book after this one? Because it seems to be a common fear amongst a lot of new authors. Yes, I think um, especially in those earlier days it, it was a fear, mainly as you're still finding your way through the industry and you don't know as many writers. Like I didn't know as many writers as I do now to have these really heartfelt um truth-filled conversations when you can talk about this stuff and realise that everyone's struggling in their own way. Um, when the intern came out, I think I was friends with about one other author who was in a very similar boat to me. We were both starting out. So it's the blind leading the blind. Um, these days it's different. So that's what I was touching on before with this whole faking it business. It, I, I now only touch on that if I really need it. Like it's not my go to anymore I'm much more honest I'm much more open in terms of transparency in the struggle is it more that you're hitting those things or those opportunities now with confidence as opposed to faking it I would definitely say not with confidence I'm still really yeah I think in this industry it's it's something that it, it's a it's a roller coaster basically every day is different and you might have the highest of high and then follow that with the lowest of low. You might have an amazing writing day where the words are flowing and you think, yes, this is why I do it. And then the next week you can't get a word out that you want to keep basically. 
I just feel like it's so surprising that it, I might, my confidence might build and then it gets knocked down again. But the one thing that is helpful to me these days is I remind myself, you've done this once, you can do it again, but it's, it's not like you'll do it again and absolutely smash it like a perfectionist. You will do it again and struggle a little bit and struggle a lot and you'll get it done though. And if that's what you really want to do, then that's what you want to do. And it's taking that time to stop and go, oh my God, I published a freaking book. Like that's what I've, like I've been loving my author career this year in 2017 because I've had a few projects come out that last year I didn't have anything come out. And this was just amazing to just savor in that and be proud of that. And they were all very different projects. There was a young adult novel, a children's book and a, and a short story. And I just had time to be proud, which sounds really lame. And I think it was almost like I was embarrassed in the past to be proud of those things. And so now it's like, no, it's, it's hard to do these things. I'm going to take a minute, you know. And so I just like celebrate everything now. <laughs> <laughs> um, how much of you is in your books? Because certainly when you started off, the, the intern, which hit and was extremely successful for you, um, most people latched onto the fact that the character was trying to get into magazine publishing and newspaper writing and much like yourself. And it seemed to dip into this world of fashion and lifestyle reporting, which you have done a bit of. Um, but the later books seem actually to be far more personal. Um, in that Remind Me How This Ends is about two young people and they're stuck for a moment in a town very similar, I would suggest, to Wagga Wagga and even your children's book, which is Peace and Quiet, which is fantastic, telling the story of two peas trying to live together in a very small pod and I would suggest perhaps maybe this was written when you were just married? Oh, you know me well. Um, I think it's one of those things as a writer where I look back on things and realize, whoa, there was a lot of things inspiring that, that I may not have even realized that at the time. But I've since realized in my personality that writing for me is a way to workshop all these feelings. <laughs> and basically, I would say none of my books are memoir, like the situations haven't actually happened. However, the feelings behind it are often very true. Like when I reread, if I if I reread, remind me how this ends, it breaks my heart a little bit because I can see that I was in such a bad headspace when I wrote it because I obviously had to do a lot of edits on it to get it to where it is. But just that that lack of ambition for the main character Milo and that sadness for the other main character Layla and this kind of weird blurry friendship that keeps crossing the line and should they shouldn't they vibe I was like wow I was really grappling with some crazy emotions and it was obviously my only way to really sort them out um peace and quiet definitely was one of those magical ideas like it was pure joy I didn't have any writer angst writing that one it was just those ideas hardly ever happened for me but it was like a spark and it just flowed out so beautifully like I've obviously edited it a lot but it's still like the first op the opening stanza is exactly as it was and things like that are just so magical. But, yes, my husband and I, we, it wasn't when we were first married. It was when we were living in it. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment, so basically a shoebox <laughs> together. Um, yes, he's not pop, I'm not pip, but we both were driving each other absolutely mad. So. Is, is one of you a particularly bad singer? <laughs> I would say both of us. <laughs>
But it's funny because that's one of the things that doesn't annoy us. But yeah, look, that one was just a lot of fun. Um, and I'm also a huge tea drinker and I've had a few pee in a pod jokes with different people. So again, none of my ideas are like solely one thing. Um, but yeah, the intern and faking it was probably the hardest one to, and I was promoting it because obviously there are so many crossovers in terms of girl from smaller town moves to city. Um, but the entire main story arc was so different to my own life and my own experiences. So I, I often will say that I don't write what I know, but I sometimes write parts of what I know and then I exaggerate the hell out of it. That's what I really enjoy about writing. What I found interesting was perhaps that, you know, in the intern and faking it is about a, a young girl who is driven by her ambition and, and taking new opportunities and learning to just take a yes and refuse to take no unless someone's in a power of position to say no. Uh, it's contrasted with Remind Me How This Ends, which is then about two characters who have no ambition, who just don't know what to do next. And it's almost like trying to tell your audience, that's okay, you've got time to work this out. So what happened between the publishing of those particular books? So I meet so many teenagers who are feeling lost about what comes next. So while I was that annoying, embarrassing teenager who had that set idea about becoming a journalist, so many people that I meet have no idea. So I couldn't relate to them as a teenager because I was so gung-ho about moving to the big smoke and cracking into the media. What was so surprising to me was come age 30, all of a sudden, while on paper I was, yep, married, I was, you know, we had a place in Sydney, a um, few books out, I felt so lost in my life. Nothing felt right. Um, I was ready to jump in a spaceship and just go into space and try to work it out kind of thing. Um, so it was the strangest feeling. I was I was feeling how Milo and Layla were feeling, completely lost, left behind, um, but not in a, an achievement level, not in like a um, I, I should have done more. It was just in a happiness level. I was just feeling like I hadn't found what was really going to fulfil me. And so that's that's where their personalities came from. So I relate to Josie's ambition in like the intern and faking it and how she was just so passionate and despite all her flaws. But in Remind Me How This Ends, I am them as well. So in terms of your initial question before, there is a lot of me in these books, but also in characters people might not expect as well. I'm talking the villains, I'm talking everyone, just bits and bobs here and there. Have you found a different reaction from your audience then between Remind Me How This Ends and those who enjoyed and read Faking It because of that, and the intern, because of that nature of you're actually answering the question, you don't have to have it all together? Yeah, I think um, for some people it's just another Gabrielle Tozer book and they just kind of, you know, support you either way and they cheer you along with whatever it is that you're producing because it's still within that contemporary genre so they just love everything in that field. I think for some people it's opened me up to perhaps new readers who thought, well, maybe a rom-com about magazines isn't really for them but something that's a little bit more grounded in reality is for them. So I, I feel like it's actually introduced me to um, some new people which has been wonderful as well. So it is a very much a case of I think readers growing with me as I'm working things out as well which wasn't a deliberate choice by any means. I feel like I'm very much about you can only write the book that's in you to write. Like I don't ever try to force something that's not ready to be written. Um, 
So it's actually been really lovely. Like, so some of the the readers who were pa so passionate about the intern, they were about, you know, 14 when that came out and now they're hitting up around those same ages as Milo and Layla and they're kind of, are feeling reassured that if I don't know exactly what I'm doing with my life, there's still hope. They'll still be okay. I'll work it out one day. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm trying to be so much more transparent about not having it all together. Not that it, not that life's a mess or anything like that, but it's just everyone has ups and downs. And I just am so passionate about making sure other people realize that because it is harder and getting harder and harder to remember that when everyone's just living their best life on Instagram. What role does young adult fiction play in helping guide the youth of today? And that may sound like an old man's question. I think it's something that can be valued in um, it's not a rush. It can be something just for you. So the immediacy of social media is cannot be denied. We're all part of it. I am as well. I'm glued to my Instagram feed or my Facebook or whatever it is. Um, I believe that with writing YA fiction, it's like that escapism in terms of like watching a really great movie or watching a really great TV show on Netflix, which is something that never existed when we were younger. Um, reading a book is just like that. So that's the key in terms of writing about things that are still going to interest people in a way that's going to interest them in this immediate time. So I think the value is in either taking them away to an exciting new world or a brand new world or reflecting them on the page and making them feel represented because it is something that's still very much taking its time in evolving um, in Australian and in overseas content, which is diversity, obviously. So um, that's why it's so wonderful with YA fiction. It's such a champion of diversity. So someone might turn on a TV show and think, oh my God, I've never seen anyone like me on that. But then they'll pick up a book in the library and go, oh my God, this is, this reminds me of, you know, Wilka Starks and my grandma or whoever it is. So I think it very much has a place in, in being there as not as a, a sole type of media, but as an additional amazing, um, valuable type of media. How important is it for young people to have a sense of community together and have something like young adult fiction to share? Because we seem to be having this burgeoning or at least extremely uh, rapidly growing um, community amongst young adult fans? Oh, the book community in YA is absolutely brilliant. Um, very much they're with their people. <laughs> they're with their people. They're with people who are passionate about reading and writing. Um, YA is a really interesting industry at the moment because so many of our readers actually aren't teenagers as well, which I um, which is a surprise to me, um, but it, I understand it because I read a lot of YA myself and it's brilliant. So it's like, well, why shouldn't all people enjoy this? Um, as someone, though, who very much writes with a teenager in mind, I find it just so heartwarming seeing this community banding together. I've seen it grow over the years as well. Like when The Intern came out, it was a very small um, but passionate tight-knit community and even in those five years up until today they're much bigger they're just as passionate and they're so vocal but it's very much they're vocal about the good stuff and the bad stuff so <laughs> it's um but that's great that's the whole point of this thing it's like it's theirs to enjoy how they want to so as the author then you 
kind of step away and let them have it because it's that's who it's for. <laughs> have you ever been um, inspired or, or dared to risk just stepping into these worlds to sort of defend your work at any stage, or have you had to? <laughs> I've never, I've never stepped in to defend it. Certainly not. Um, there have been a few crushing reviews that every writer has had. I highly recommend staying away from Goodreads. It is perfectly savage <laughs> um, and it is enough to ruin your entire day. Um, but I think of the way I get around those moments of, oh, my God, I'm heartbroken, is just reminding myself about I'm a very opinionated person myself and while I might not be putting that in a public forum where the creator can read that, I certainly have those thoughts and my opinion might differ from my best friends, my husbands, my workmates. We're all so different. So I found it a lot harder to deal with in those early books while now I would say that um, the shield has come up a little bit more and I just take it for what it is, one person's opinion. And so the main critique I'm concerned with these days is before the book actually comes out, which is the point you can actually make changes. I can't do anything about the book once it's on the shelf. That's what the book is. So um, in the lead up, I have my first reader, which is my very brave husband who gives the most hardcore feedback you've ever read, but that's what I want. And then I obviously have my brilliant editors and publishers at HarperCollins and I'm a pretty hardcore um <laughs> Uh, critique of my own work so I get that red pen out so I just really try to remind myself these days about this is a bit naff but it saved me it's this circle of control business where you basically only focus on what you can control if you can't control it take it off your list it's not something that happens naturally for me I have to actually remind myself to do that and plus I've seen what happens when authors go in to battle for themselves it's not your place it's just, yeah, as long as they're not tagging you in on terrible reviews. Right, right. They're free to say whatever they like. <laughs> well, one thing I've seen is that um, authors also often take their revenge in the next book in that they're <laughs> very unforgiving and they remember names. <laughs> I actually have never done that, but I do find that an intriguing <laughs> possibility. I might have to start killing people. Off. No, just kidding. Um, no, look, it's one of those lessons that you're not taught how to deal with as a as a newbie author. It's very much you are thrust into this world of this thing you've created is suddenly up for um, for discussion, which sounds obvious now as someone who's been in the industry for a while, but all you can think about as you're writing that book is the exciting parts. And yes, you're nervous, but you never quite understand the gravity of what it feels like to people of people to talk about your work as though the author's someone who's just this faceless person on the on the other side of the computer screen so massive learning curve and it's something that does prevent some authors from continuing to write books like there's been points where it it has um certainly held me back in terms of making the most of time I've set aside to work on books and so that's why I now don't let myself check it. <laughs> Earlier this year you spoke about um, your struggle with anxiety and that that had potentially been undiagnosed for most of your young career. Um, I wanted to ask you how much of that sense of anxiety and both addressing it but also understanding it maybe offers an insight to that 
ambition that you had during school to do well, to get to the right university, to get the right course, and then to get a job? Oh, it's so strange looking back on how I was at high school and in my early 20s. Like I wish I could go back in time and just tell myself that it'll all be okay. Like it, it's kind of heartbreaking when you think about how much pressure you used to put on yourself with things and you're like, for what? Like for what? Um, I did a pretty good job of hiding it from other people though in terms of I – because I still was very much like having a good time in other areas of life, it wasn't that obvious of what I was juggling. So it was a lot of hiding it away, I think, um, very protective and that was coming out in these bursts of perfectionism which shows up in people in very different ways. Like for me, I'm not an overall perfectionist. Like my place is a mess, like I, I can't drive, like there's so many things I'm terrible at. So it's not like I'm A-type in every way but when it was coming to school and grades, and things like that. It was, I was so much pressure and it, it was certainly only internal because my parents are the sweetest, loveliest people you'll ever meet and they never were like um, trying to force me to do better than they, yeah, they were just so proud of me no matter what I did. So I truly don't know where it came from but it certainly informed my behaviour. Um, even the day I remember getting my HSC at the time <laughs> results, the pressure, I was just sitting there like barking at my family in this awful way as they're all crowded around and I got a, like a, a mark that got me into my course and things like that but there's just so many moments ruined by this stress, this stress, this stress. So oh, it's not something that has gone away for me by any means but it is something that I now know how to manage and so if I feel it bubbling up, I go into – action mode this time in a positive way rather than trying to hide it or get on top of it and it's like now I'm like no I clearly need to step back and set some more boundaries and look after myself maybe check in with my psychologist for a tune-up or whatever it is so yeah it was a lesson that took me I had to learn that lesson so many times like I'm clearly not a very fast learner (laughs) so I highly recommend yeah, getting help with it if you need to because like I was mentioning before about meeting older writers who had perhaps looked back on their career as, well, oh, I'm still not happy and I I honestly it was like looking in a mirror of what my future could be if I didn't deal with my, my shit. And so I got home from that course and I learned lots of amazing things but that was one of those startling moments that the teacher wouldn't have even known that was happening and I went, I have got to sort myself out because what is the point of this whole business for me if I'm not happy and looking after myself? So it's all boring stuff. It's like there's nothing sexy about this. It's just, you know, um, you know, you meditate a little. You try to move every day. You look up, like try to eat healthier foods and um, schedule so much downtime. It's not even funny. So, yeah, it's just been a very strange ride but one that I'm – really comfortable talking about now despite years of hiding it because it's so common and I feel like it's really common in this time of life where everyone's trying to do everything at 100 miles an hour and it's almost become that badge of honour to be busy when now I'm like, oh, I need to cut back on things but it's hard undoing people's perception of you. as it, It's hard undoing people's perception of you as well because – People will call me 
you're a machine, you're smashing it out, you're always doing this, you're always doing that because that's how I was for so long and I'm really starting to slow down and enjoy it. So I'm like, well, hopefully they still like this slower paced <laughs> me as well. <laughs> and I, I guess this goes some way towards um, what you said earlier, which is there's a responsibility when writing for young people. So part of your dialogue with young people these days is also to inform you, inform them that you're not perfect and that these things can be managed and also maximised as well. Absolutely. And it, it is a message that I feel I need to be saying more than just once. Like, you know, sometimes you can just announce something and then it sticks with people. But for some reason, I've been saying this for a good couple of years now and it still hasn't seemed to have stuck with certain people in my life who still say things to me like, oh, you've got it all together or, you know, you absolutely like nail it with no problem. And I constantly pulling people up of like, hang on, no, you know the deal here. So this is that comparison game that I was talking about. It's dangerous. Everyone does it. You can't help but do it. And it is the one problem that I have with social media. As much as I enjoy it for a bit of a laugh here and there um, and to talk with readers, it is dangerous in that people just see this snapshot of you and think, oh, well, that's her whole life. It's like, no, 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 no. So I try to tell the tell the other stuff as well but unless you have some kind of I don't know live stream of like me falling apart on a writing deadline I'm like I don't really know how to sell this as the as the real of the reality but um yeah it's just something that I'm happy to share the good and the bad these days well, Gabriel, you're, you're far from being the tortured artist you were terrified of becoming and it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today about your continuing success and I really look forward to what you do next. So thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Gabby. And you can find Gabby's books online and in stores and you can also follow Gabby on Twitter. You can also follow us at ConversationsWW and on Facebook. I'm not sure what Facebook does, but... Do something with it. This has been James Rickards. Thanks for listening.